Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, inspiring health stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Go ahead, hit subscribe right there on YouTube, turn on those notifications, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, today we are sharing stories. Me and Kristen DeAndrade, who is the author of Little Legs, Big Heart, newly released, was born with dwarfism. But as a result of that, she had multiple other complications, which led her down a darker emotional and mental path dealing with depression. And she pulled herself out of that, but she's sharing her story. She's opening up her heart, as she mentions in her book as well, and connecting us all and reminding us that we are all really not that different. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Today, I'm so excited to meet Kristen DeAndrade. She is a newly published author, motivational speaker, a patient advocate, and she is awesome. So I'm excited to have Kristen here on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. Um, Why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about, let's start with the book because, first of all, congratulations. I know that's a big accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us the name of the book. So the name of the book is Little Legs, Big Heart. I found myself about four or five years ago kind of in a life situation where things weren't stellar um, and I had the choice to try and make lemons out of lemonade, which is how the book came to be. Um, I've known for a long time that I wanted to write a book. I just wasn't in a place to do so. And basically, I'll give you a little bit of a background. So I was born with dwarfism. Um, I was born with achondroplasia, which is the most common form of dwarfism. And I've seen a lot of doctors in my day. um, And when I was younger, chose to undergo limb lengthening surgery. Um, not just to become taller, but I had a lot of underlying medical issues at the time. And so I chose um, to undergo the surgeries to straighten my legs, um, change the way that I was walking. And just um, the modern world is made for people who are really, I guess, four nine, four ten is kind of like the cutoff, uh, four foot ten or taller, kind of, we say five foot. Um, As a little girl with dwarfism, it was really hard, like public facilities, I would climb up on public toilets in order to like sit down because I couldn't just walk up and sit, reaching light switches, you know, in the cafeteria at school, I always needed help, things like that. And my parents kind of gave me the choice, you know, it was an option, we had found a doctor, Dr. Paley, who uh, performed the surgery. And I just kind of got this in my head where, yeah, this is, I want to do this. So I underwent those surgeries as a kid and everything was super successful. I have zero regrets. Um, 
and then went on to live my life. I went off to college uh, in South Carolina. I went to the College of Charleston. I decided that I wanted to go as far away from home as humanly possible. Because where are you <laughs> and from? So I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. Okay. Um, so I was, you know, it just, I wanted, I needed to spread my wings and fly. And, and so I did that and graduated college and actually, um, went through yoga teacher training and was kind of well in my way to, uh, becoming a yoga teacher in the yoga industry in Charleston when I became, um, partially paralyzed. I actually lost feeling and sensation from the waist down due to spinal stenosis, which is essentially narrowing of the spinal column. Something else that individuals who are born with dwarfism deal with is just our bones are formed differently. Um, and so our spinal columns are very narrowed and it doesn't take much for the tissues like the spinal canal to become inflamed. And basically I was dealing with bulging discs and my spinal cord was becoming compressed to the point where I was hardly able to walk. And there aren't a lot of doctors that treat skeletal dysplasia. It's something that I think causes a little bit of fear in the medical world. There's a lot of unknowns and we're just, we're special. Um, and I had a doctor when I was younger before I underwent my lengthening surgery who was like a pioneer. He was an amazing doctor, um, very skilled with all different forms of dwarfism. Um, there are over 200 types. So just to give you an idea, like wow. there's, there's various types of dwarfism and all come with their own sets of um, complications. Um, so when I was living in Charleston and I was dealing with these medical issues, doctors there kind of misdiagnosed and then mistreated me. And I was basically told to um, go to physical therapy. And gratefully, I was uh, going to physical therapy with a girlfriend of mine who was a physical therapist. And she basically was like, Kristen, you're just, you continue to get worse. Like, this is crazy. And with my health insurance, I was paying a crazy amount of money out of pocket just to go see her. So through the community um, that I just have built, because I've been advocating ever since I had my surgery, my lengthening surgery, I've basically been an advocate for that surgery. Um, I was on national television in high school um, I wrote newspaper, like I wrote letters to the editors and newspaper articles just speaking out because there is also a lot of controversy surrounding these surgeries within specifically the, um, the LPA or the Little People of America. They see it as very cosmetic that we chose to do this surgery because we just wanted to blend in or just to be taller, which those were not my motivations. You know, it was, I was coming from a medical standpoint you know, I was going to have to have surgery regardless. Um, so anyways, being a patient advocate, I got to know quite a few um, other patients and their families. And it's truly beautiful relationships that come from kind of pain and these journeys that you're on. And um, one girl in particular just reached out to me one day and said, Kristen, how are you doing? And I tend to be really honest with my feelings. I believe in honesty and I believe that your emotions are a super powerful thing. And so I told her that I wasn't doing well. Things were not good. I was, I could barely walk. I was in a ton of pain and she had said, Oh my goodness. I was, she 
um, our surgeon, Dr. Paley, had moved his practice to Florida from Baltimore, and she had just had an, an appointment there and saw a doctor, Dr. David Feldman, who was a spine surgeon and who was familiar with skeletal dysplasia. So immediately I get on the phone and booked, made myself an appointment because at this point I didn't know what was going on. I actually made a double appointment with both doctors, Paley and Feldman, because I didn't know if it was my legs. I didn't know if it was my spine. I had been incredibly misled by the doctors in South Carolina. Um, by the time I ended up in Florida for my appointment, which was in 2016, that was April of 2016, I was essentially paralyzed. Um, I could barely walk. They took what he took one look at my current MRI and said, um, you're, you're in trouble. You need to go home and pack a bag and come back. You, you need to have surgery. And I went in for a more current MRI before I left Florida to go back home. And when I was sitting in the airport, um, ready to fly back to South Carolina, he, Dr. Feldman called me and said, it's far worse than we anticipated. Your new MRI shows that you are essentially paralyzed. Um, your spinal cord is being compressed in multiple places. If you lose control of your bowel and bladder, you need to go to the emergency room and call me. And I was terrified. I mean, that scared me because it just kind of brought to light you know, I, I'd kind of convinced myself at that point that I was just going to live my le the rest of my life in pain um, because no one could really give me answers. So I, I went home. I was incredibly careful, went home and got myself back to Florida about two weeks later for surgery and underwent um, a nine level spinal fusion. It was like a 10 hour surgery. Um, I woke oh up goodness. in the intensive care unit and couldn't move my right leg. So I suffered partial paralysis from the surgery because I was, my spinal cord was so damaged. Um, and at that point I find my, found myself in a pretty deep hole. Um, it was really hard. I had had surgery as a kid, but kids bounce back so fast. <laughs> I think for adults, it just, it takes a while for you to heal. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> I healed from my original fusion and then had to undergo surgery on one of my legs because I was severely malaligned and because of the paralysis I was having a terrible time walking. So one surgery turned into two, which then turned into another surgery on my spine because um, my spine did not want hardware drilled into it. And so it started pulling away from the hardware. Over the course mm -hmm. of two and a half years, I underwent 12 surgeries. And so it was like every time that I would try and heal, I would end up back in the operating room. And it hands down, I think, was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. I, throughout those 12 surgeries, ended up moving from South Carolina to Florida. Um, my parents were paying my rent. I ended up on disability. Um, it was my lowest of lows. And so coming all the way back to the book, um, I had had an instance where I just, I mean, the dark thoughts were creeping in. Like, I didn't know if I could do it anymore. I, it was just, it was so hard. I, you know, being a 30 year old woman and relying on everyone for everything is what it felt like. I mean, I was stuffing, tri folding letters and stuffing envelopes and stamping them 
for a rehabilitation clinic just for a couple extra hundred dollars so that I could buy groceries. And thankfully, Dr. Feldman um, and the team at the Paley Institute kind of noticed this change in me where I was just having a really hard time. And, and he specifically was like, I don't know what's going on. I can only imagine what you're feeling, but whatever is happening, like we've got to shift this. You, you have to turn this around because you, ha you have to come out of this and you can. And so to have an orthopedic surgeon kind of pull me aside and really like take the time to notice that his patient, an adult patient of all things, um, was just having a horrible time, like it kind of lit the fire under my ass. And I was like, all right, you have two choices. Like you can do something about it or you can sit in your little hole, your dark hole of and sorrow when, and wallow. And when you say a horrible time, what does that mean? I mean, <laughs> you know, like I was not financially independent. I was on crutches. I mean, I, it just, I felt sad all the time. I was so sad and I was angry. I was angry at my situation. You know, why was I being chosen to be one to have to go through all of this? Um, so you were, and do you think you were going through depression? Oh, for sure. Depression. So I've kind of always throughout my life lived with depression and anxiety. Going through everything with my spine worsened that tenfold, um, for sure. And, you know, and then you have just how society views mental health these days. It's, you know, those those sad, scary, angry feelings are ones that we're apparently supposed to be ashamed of which I started to kind of believe, you know, I hid everything. I didn't think anyone had the time for me. And then to have a surgeon of all people come out and say, you need to look at me and you need to listen to me. This is not okay. It was kind of a, it was a huge wake up call for me. When I had another surgery that I had had prior, um, it was kind of after college, I started a blog that I had titled little legs big heart i had always turned to writing even as a child um i would write poetry i had po poems published as a kid um you know and silly ones like in fact i think <laughs> one of them was was about math and it was like math is a subject in school some people think that it's really cool and it was i mean something silly but it was a way for me to channel thoughts feelings whatever it was because i hated math it was one of my worst subjects. Um, and so I had always turned to writing and thus turned to blogging. And when I started like my yoga journey, um, because I was introduced to yoga after college, I took my first class. I just, you know, I was learning how to channel my depression and my anxiety and all of my feelings and writing about them was just came so naturally to me. And it wasn't something that I had to share but I chose to share and in doing so realized that I was not alone, that there were a lot of people that, you know, that were going through similar experiences throughout life, things that were tearing them down and they were having to build themselves back up. Um, and living in the face of adversity, being what some view as disabled, which dwarfism is seen as a disability. I prefer the word different ability simply because I don't see myself as disabled. Um, I am able to do a lot of things. 
So fast forward again to when I was going through everything with my spine and spinal stenosis, um, I came back to writing and just thought, okay, Kristen, you have always wanted to write a book. I used to journal as a kid and, and I journaled throughout all of my spine surgery or my leg surgeries throughout my lengthening. I kept a diary. So I, how cool would it be to put all of that together and, and create a book? Mm. So I took a really crappy situation and ended up self-publishing um, Little Legs, Big Heart, uh, One Girl's Journey Through Acceptance, Perseverance, and Growth. And that's how that came to be, which is pretty wild. <laughs> so I'm sure so much of your recovery as well has to do with your own mindset and your, you know, outlook on your future. Um, so what was the outcomes of the surgery? How, you know, were you doing after the 12 surgeries? How are you doing now? And then how did you also make that shift? Knowing that someone cared enough to say something, I think immediately is what sparked that shift. So knowing, and again, to have it come from my orthopedic surgeon was just, I mean, crazy. It was, it was just crazy to me. After all 12 surgeries, I'm doing really well. Um, I, in that aspect, I mean, the other thing about living with dwarfism is that it's kind of, you're always dealing with something. So my spine is stable um, and I'm on my own two feet. And for that, I am unbelievably grateful so I can go about my day and you know run errands drive Um, I am as active as I can be unfortunately I'm facing a knee replacement in January which is I say unfortunately but it's also a good thing because I am hurting due to um, the joint breakdown that I have which is super common with uh, dwarfism Our our joints are formed differently so we experience a lot of arthritis and a lot of people have to go through joint replacement surgery Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's been a wild ride and I can honestly say that attitude is everything and for it to stem from people who showed me that they really cared and that they noticed, like, I think that's what really brought it to light for me. Like the fact that other people noticed a shift in me it was like, whoa, okay, so people can tell, people know that something's going on. And and I'm not going to say that, like, everything's a constant, you know, climb uphill, like, no. up, you know, up a little and happy never hill. never is, it's, right? No. And, and ironically enough, probably like a month ago, I had a friend come to me and she was just like, Kristen, what's going on? Like, I'm noticing something's up. And, you know, again, it's like, the shifts in life and it's got mm-hmm. like you've got your hills and your valleys and I was in one of those valleys but to have you know people notice and to have someone bring it to my attention it's it becomes really helpful um to kind of realize like oh okay you know your feelings are real so what I'm feeling these feelings of sad scared angry they're real and right. we can do something about them right I guess for those who don't, and, and myself included, who, who don't know so much about dwarfism, like I'm learning from you, um, just all of the other ways that your body's impacted. Can you kind of, you know, educate us on some of the other things that you face? 
I mean, there's a wide array of medical issues that can arise starting in childhood. Um, I was actually in a back brace as a child for something called kyphosis, which is a curvature of the spine. Um, there are some children who deal with a different kind of spinal stenosis that happens in the cervical vertebrae, and they have to undergo surgery um, for what's called foramen magnum stenosis, which I did not experience, gratefully, but a lot of kids do. Um, ear infections are a huge part of someone with dwarfism's life. Our ear canals are just shaped differently. I can't, and you can read about it in my book, um, I can't tell you how many ear infections I had as a kid. And then there's a lot of like joint instability, depending on what form of dwarfism you have. You know, there's a lot of um, joint issues, early onset arthritis, um, bowing of the lower legs, and again, spine issues. But then you're also dealing with the psychosocial aspect of having dwarfism. It's, it's not easy. And I don't care what anyone says, you know, it's, I feel like sometimes people think that we have to put on these brave faces, like it's hard and it doesn't get easier as you get older. In fact, I think it was easier as I was a child because I was so like oblivious to how people right. saw me and to this um, ideation that society has that, you know, there's like one perfect body type where everyone should be average height and skinny or you know whatever it is and as I got older you know and began to realize that people were going to make fun of me because I looked different because I was shorter it's it's not an easy thing to grasp you know I had really good friends in school but I still would deal with like in junior high I remember when like the girls were starting to talk to the boys and the boys wanted nothing to do with me and it's hard to think like you know d does it have something to do just because I'm shorter because I have dwarfism um you know going out in public and dealing with people staring and laughing and pointing I mean I still deal with that I was just telling a girlfriend the other day I was at a stoplight and I had my window down you know, enjoying the fresh Florida air and some guy pulled up next to me and just kind of started jeering and laughing and I had to roll my window up, you know, and just kind of, I've, I've always learned that I know it has nothing to do with me and that it's another person's right. ignorance or interpretation of this idea of perfection. Um, but that's not to say that it doesn't hurt because it does. And, and I think... You know, it's something that the people with dwarfism, it's like we don't talk enough about. It can be really, really difficult. And it's also empowering. I mean, I love the days where I can go out and have an experience like that and just literally have it roll like water off my back. And because there are those days, but then there are also the days where it sinks in and it stabs like a knife and it's hard. So it just kind of depends um, depends on the day. So when you mentioned earlier that so much of the world is created for people four nine or five foot and above, can you kind of paint that picture and give some examples for those of us who have like not been in a situation and thought, oh, this would be a challenge because or if I wasn't of the height that I am? Sure. So I mean, public facilities is number one. Public restrooms. I mean not only the toilets and the sinks being high off the ground, but 
a lot of the door handles are or the locks are higher up. So it's a matter of like getting in and out of the door or be able, being able to lock the door behind you can become is can be impossible or just incredibly difficult any any modern day kitchen you know you're going to stand at the counter when i was little always require a stool but then you've got a matter of you know our arms tend to be a lot shorter so reaching across a stove to turn a stove on if the if the controls aren't in the front and they're on the back of the stove which mine currently are on the back of the stove if i hadn't had lengthening you know it's just just becomes a safety factor of being able to turn that stove on or off. Um, and then you're talking about, you know, a gas stove versus an electric stove. Mm-hmm. If it's a gas stove and you can't reach across, you know, what are you going to do? Um, public transportation, you know, getting on and off public buses or, you know, even in and out of cars. When I was a kid, I used to get a ride home with um a good friend of mine and her mom drove a, a big red Azuzu Trooper. And in order to get in the car, I would have to kind of like scale the side of the door and then swing my way into the car. And there were a couple of times when she started driving off and I was still hanging on the door, you know, like it's just there's things that you don't you don't really think of. Right. Absolutely. What do you think can be done to help solve that problem? I mean, bringing awareness to these things there is more happening to make, you know, public facilities more accessible. I know in schools that they're doing more to make, you know, the restrooms in schools more accessible. Um, And I always tell parents, you know, you got to talk to the school. Um, When I was in elementary school, you know, I would have, if I needed help with anything, they were there. I had stools. I had my own special little table with chairs because when I would sit in a regular chair, my legs would stick out and fall asleep. So they actually, when I was in third grade, got me a chair from the kindergarten classroom and, and a box to rest my feet on so that my feet actually touched something. And I think we have made huge strides and it's and i i will shine a light on social media for a second and they and i do think that people sharing their stories and being willing to be so open with their experiences is part of the reason that there is so much awareness being brought to these communities absolutely and i'll I'll never forget what um one of my guests mentioned being disabled is something that anybody can enter this group at any point and any time in their life, regardless of geography, socioeconomic status, race, gender, any, like there's so much intersectionality with that and every other group. Um, So I think that's impactful and powerful and realizing that like, that could, it can impact any of us at any time and paying attention to, hey, how to, be more accommodating, right? Things being more accessible um, is just, it's not something you think of until it impacts you directly, no. but right. it doesn't and mean just that's being when you more compa- to think about it, right? Yeah. And being more compassionate. Like, I feel like people right. just need to learn to be more compassionate towards others, period. So you've had all of these experiences. It sounds like a wonderful story. You kind of shared all of that in this book. Um, what do you want people to take away from that? If one person reads this and, and can take something away from it, 
like anything away, either feel less alone, learn something about dwarfism, learn something about living with a disability. That's a win for me. I think that there's a lot of power in storytelling and, you know, someone without dwarfism could read my story and feel less alone because it's, you know, I think you can draw parallels in a lot of different aspects of your life. Um, I love to think that true stories have the power to heal as much as modern medicine does. And I can honestly say that storytelling has helped me because going through everything that I've gone through in the last five years, I have made some of my best friends having had to move to Florida and ha just sharing my story and hearing their story in turn. And it's like, we're not afraid to talk about the sad, the scary, the angry, you know, it's like you share all of these different things. And, and we're also similar in all of those ways because we all experience those feelings. Absolutely. That's what I always like to say is that stories connect us. Mm -hmm. um, I interviewed somebody on this show and this always stuck with me. And she um, is a uh, psychologist and runs a center for those individuals who are dealing with addiction. And she hosts a podcast that is pretty much talks about all types of addiction from food to gambling to work to sex wow. to all of these different categories now her clinic specifically works with individuals you know who are addicted to you know, substance like you know drugs or tobacco or alcohol um and, and that's kind of what turns the key as far as working with her but she has this podcast where people talk about control and all of these other things because she's like at the end of the day if you can draw that parallel and really see that that individual that might be struggling with substance abuse is really not that different from you if you are struggling with addiction to food or obsessively working it kind of helps us all kind of you know be more supportive like you were saying of each other and i loved that because it helped me also think of it in a different way mm -hmm. so thanks that. for yeah. sharing that uh what's i want to know what's next for you you have the book out is there anything more we can expect um well i'm kind of so the book ends essentially um when i'm 16 when i finish my my last lengthening surgery and then i you i kind of give you like a couple glimpses into like life during college and a couple like um instances that i have you know just like i give them as like flashbacks but with everything that's happened over the last five years and just being open with my story it's it's kind of like do I write a second book? Maybe. Um, I've kind of thought about it and I, I've kind of started one. Um, so we'll see where that goes. I It's finding the time to do it. And that's what every writer says. It's like, it's finding the time to sit down and write. Um, and oh, actually within the last like month or so, I've been thinking a lot more about it. So possibly a second book on the horizon there's actually an organization in Spain called the Alpha Foundation um, that is a foundation that helps individuals uh, born with achondroplasia. So I'm actually gonna go visit them. They're doing a Congress in October and I'm gonna go over there um, 
and visit them and see what they've been up to. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really it for right now. You know, the other thing I do is patient advocacy and I work closely with a lot of patients who are undergoing um, either lengthening or spine surgery. Um, and that's been my focus and it's something that I really enjoy because I think it's important. You know, these are, they're, they're, it's a big deal. Surgery is a big deal and the rehabilitation process can be really challenging. Um, and so being able to kind of walk people through the process and let, have them feel a little less alone, it's super important to me. What do you do when you do still come across low moments? How do you, you know, kind of pull yourself out of those moments? I do one of the things that is the hardest thing for me to do, and I ask for help. And sometimes it's not me outwardly asking for help. It's a friend nudging, being like, hey, do you need to talk? And then I I say, I force myself to say yes. Um, Ask for help and talk about it. It's so important. Don't hold it in. Oh, my gosh. And I... I'm saying this only because I need to hear myself say it over and over and over again. Um, Please talk about it. You know, there's always someone that is going to be willing to listen, always. Even if you think like they don't have time, they're too busy, they don't want to hear what I have to say, there's always Mm -hmm. someone who's willing to listen. And that has really helped me that along with meditation, I was actually doing really well for a while and was on like a hundred straight days of meditation and then kind of lost myself a little bit. I took a trip up North to see my family and uh, got off the bandwagon, but recently have gotten back on. And that also it's, you know, mornings are kind of sacred for me. So when I get up, you know, I have my little morning routine and then I sit down and I meditate and just sit quietly and watch my thoughts and come back to the breath. And I can highly recommend there's a woman, her name is Sarah Blondin, B-L-O-N-D-I-N, who does some meditations on Insight Timer and she is wonderful. Like when you when you need to hear something, anything of hers that I ever put on, I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Just okay. lay quietly and listen to her speak, and she nails it every time. I love that. Insight Timer, yes. Sarah Blondin will link to her and that yes. app below. Yes. So that everyone can find that. Um, Definitely. Is there anything else, Kristen, that you wanted to add? I don't think so. I kind of, I gave you everything, I think. I appreciate that. Tell us how we can find the book, you on social, website, all that stuff. So of we can course. Below. So the book is on Amazon. I think it's also Barnes and Noble and Target, Little Legs, Big Heart. Um, and you can find me on social media, mostly on Instagram and Facebook at Little Legs, Big Heart. Um, I also have a website, littlelegsbigheart.com. Um, feel free to reach out. There's a contact form on there. I love hearing from people. I love hearing people's stories, um, connecting with others. I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. It's been wonderful. I appreciated you being so open and sharing your story. Thanks for letting me do so. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Kristen, keeping the lines of communication open when it comes to diversity and inclusion, including and especially those with disabilities. Because again, remember, as I've learned from my incredible guests I've had on this show, that is one minority group that anyone at any time can join. So remember to have compassion and connection and tell stories because that's how we can foster a greater understanding between us all. 
So connect with Kristen, connect with me. All of our information is down below in the show notes. You know I'm everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. That's where you should subscribe, but especially LinkedIn. I'd love to see you there. You know why? Because you don't want to miss out on another episode. We're back each and every week. So until I see you next week, stay happy, stay healthy.